Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're finding out actionable ways to hack our blood sugar for more energy, learning how to figure out our personal style, or eliminating jealousy and feeling more satisfied in life. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Boy, do I have a juicy episode for you today. I was literally going through the episode for the edit, and I'm always thinking about cool takeaways that I can share on social media. And for this one, I was like, oh my God, I have to share this. I have to share this. This episode is truly chock full of wisdom, and I can say very confidently that it will transform your life. Like, I am genuinely so excited for you to listen to it so that we can talk about it and I can hear everything that you're doing. I'm thrilled to welcome Britt Frank to the podcast. Britt is a licensed psychotherapist, teacher, speaker, and trauma specialist who is committed to dismantling the mental health myths that keep us feeling stuck and sick. Her latest book called The Science of Stuck is so actionable and brilliant and is all about moving past what's holding you back in life, love, and work. As Britt talks about in the episode, being stuck and dealing with the impacts of trauma are very interconnected, and all of us have trauma that we're working through, whether we're giving ourselves permission to acknowledge or call it that or not. On this episode, we get into why procrastination can be a sign of unresolved trauma, why you don't need to deep dive into your childhood to resolve trauma, a genius practice for figuring out what self-care will actually nourish you, how to give yourself space to heal when the world is making demands of you how to let go of scary things that are out of your control, a trick for figuring out the exact first step that you should take, no matter what specific area that you're stuck in your life, how to move past the idea that you've wasted all this time, how to take advantage of your neuropsychology to trick your brain into working out, and so much more. We also have an amazing giveaway for this episode, so stay tuned until the end to find out how to enter to win. In the meantime, Britt and I would both love to hear your thoughts as you're listening, and I know that you're going to want to share them. I can't wait to hear what you think about the Vegas nerve hacks, and I want to hear your self-care uppers and downers, so definitely screenshot and tag us both on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and she is at Britt Frank, and Britt has two Ts. Also, I already know that you're going to share this one with everyone you know because the hacks in it are just wild and you're not going to be able to help yourself, but just a quick thank you in advance. It's truly the best way to support the podcast, and it is so appreciated. Oh my God. Also, you guys, the last five episodes of the podcast have been most shared on Spotify, which is just so cool and unfathomable. The little most shared graphic with the arrow means that the episode is trending out of every single podcast episode on Spotify. And there are literally millions. It is a huge, huge deal. And it is 100% due to every single one of you out there spreading the word. So I just want to give you a huge hug and a big thank you transparently, the podcast reaching more people is what allows me to have on all of the guests that I think that you would love the most and just to produce the best possible podcast for you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love this community so much and I am so grateful for it every single day. Okay, let's get right into it with Britt Frank. Hi, Britt. I am so excited to have you here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I want to start off with you were in a fundamentalist Colts, but you like kind of like drop that out there. And I'm like, wait, 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 rewind. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? I grew up a Long Island Jewish girl, and there are very few ways to rebel. You can dye your hair purple, you can marry another species, but like the way to rebel if you're a Long Island <laughs> Jewish girl is to 
join a fundamentalist Christian cult in the middle of Kansas. And so I did. And then I got out because that's not sustainable. But it was really effective for breaking family patterns and dynamics. And I wouldn't recommend it, but it was How did it come up though? Like, did you just meet a sexy stranger at the mall or something? How does one end up in a cult? You're not that far off. I've seen Lifetime movies, you know. (laughs) When I was at Duke, the like campus crusade for Christ had these very, very attractive football players. And the more I was interested in what they were saying, the more they paid attention to me. And so not that campus crusade for Christ is all culty, but I took it and ran with it. I'm like, oh, this is so great. If I believe this, say this, do this, wear this, think this, people will like me. So Mm. where can I do that? Like to the nth degree, cult, off we go. So yeah. And how long were you in the cult for? (laughs) And my disclaimer here is not all cults are Westboro Baptists, like homophobic, protesting funerals, Kool-Aid drinking, mass suicides. Like there are lots of degrees of cult life. But I did that for quite a few years in my 20s. And then I switched to drug addiction. And then I switched to sex and love addiction. And then eventually I came out of the woods. And here we are. How did you come out of the woods? Was this how you got interested in getting through stuck periods of one's life? (laughs) It came to not everyone needs a rock bottom experience. But for me, I hit meth on my path. And meth was really the end. Like you can't really do meth for very long without coming to this is only going to go one of two ways. It's either going to go towards that death or life. It's like you're going to have to pick one. Are you going to choose to die? You're going to choose to live. And so I chose to live. And I was fortunate and privileged that I had resources that helped me do that. Not everyone Mm. does. But I found really good therapists, the type of therapy I now practice, in fact. So from there, did you lead to getting your degrees and like practicing therapy? What was that journey like for you? Yeah. After a decade of fuckery, I went back to school and got some things together and figured a few things out and got sane. And then I went to grad school and I went to grad school in Kansas because it's actually a really easy, nice place to live. And (laughs) now I live on a different part of the city doing a different lifestyle than I did before. Do you ever have PTSD or... Just because you're in the same place that you experienced all these really negative life experiences, do you come across a corner that reminds you of something or something like that? I would imagine a lot of people would want just a full break from the environment that created those circumstances for them. I mean, you're not wrong, but the wild thing is that of all the negative experiences, that one wasn't actually that bad. I mean, at the time, I'm like, oh, look, I have people who are feeding me and they're bringing me casseroles and they are spending time with me. Mm. So it's more like, oh, young me, pat pat on the head. Wasn't that interesting that we chose to do that? Like, good for you for finding a way through the mess of your mind. But it doesn't give me trauma because that wasn't actually the worst of my traumatic experiences. Okay. Well, then I have to ask what was the worst of your traumatic experiences? I knew you were going there. The sex love drug triad, when you have attachment issues, relationship issues, and chemical issues, that brings a whole mess of things. So I dated very, very toxic people, sexual assault, domestic violence type situations, You know, basically dating the same monster over and over again. You cut the head mm. off, another one grows back. I dated the same person for a while before I sat down and thought, maybe I have some like mommy and daddy issues that I should probably unearth. And so eventually the pain of not looking at my stuff was so great that the pain of doing the work was less than the pain of not doing the work. You talk about in your book, all of the ways that these unresolved traumas can appear in your life. I'm going to try to put this in a nice way. I like that you talk about that you have big trauma 
But because of that, you are especially sensitive to the fact that you don't need to have big trauma to have these traumas kind of impact your life, that you don't need to have been in a cult or had abuse, even though you have experienced those things, to have these traumas kind of peep up in your life. Did I get that right? Yes. And it's so important to me to normalize, like, look, you may not have had abusive parents and like no one may have cheated on you or hit you, but life is traumatic. We don't experience it the same, but to a degree, if you're a person with a pulse, you're going to have trauma. It's like brain indigestion. You're going to eat something that's going to make you sick at some point. You're going to have an experience that's going to overwhelm your brain at some point. And I work with a lot of very functional people who are like, I feel bad complaining because it's not like it was that bad. I'm like, your brain gets to decide how bad something is. Yes, I recognize that I have it pretty good, all things considered. And, and the and is the most powerful word in our language because yeah. and allows for, and I'm in pain and I'm sad and I'm human. And this actually was traumatic for me. And trauma could be something good, like giving birth is actually mm. a type of trauma. Getting married is a type of trauma. Moving cities, making money, all of these things, not that they're bad. They just are overwhelming. If our brain's overwhelmed, we're going to experience trauma. And that's so important to know and normalize. Trauma's for everybody. It's not just for me. And how can we know if we're experiencing trauma? I found the part of your book where you talked about procrastination often being a trauma response. Fascinating. Let's talk about the procrastination thing in a second. But are there other things like procrastination that we might not attribute to trauma that are actually signs of unresolved trauma? Oh, and the word trauma tends to trip people up. People Mm. with like high level trauma get annoyed that people without the high level trauma use it and people with low level trauma feel bad using it. So that's why I use the word stuck. It's like, let's just take the T word and throw it out the window. Because what does that really mean? Use the word stuck or use the word like stalled or I like brain indigestion. How's your life working? How is your relationship with sex and your body and the people around you? How's your relationship to sleep, your biological needs and money? And if any of those things feel stuck or stalled, don't worry about where it came from. We don't need to dig in the childhood memory trove. But let's just assume your brain had indigestion and then we can deal with it and move forward. Don't ask why. My favorite life hack is when you're stuck, don't ask why, ask what. What are my choices? And of those, what can I say yes to? That'll get you moving a lot faster. You don't think we need to, I don't know, do the sort of traditional therapy thing of diving into this was the root cause, this happened in my childhood, my parents said this to me to be able to move through it? I love a good deep dive into the abyss because that's just me. But as a trauma specialized therapist, no, you do not need to dig around Our stories need to be witnessed, and sometimes it's helpful to tell them, Mm. but generally we've all told our stories. If telling the story healed us, we'd all be good to go. So no, (laughs) you do not need to find your memories. You do not need to re-experience your memories, and you don't even need to know your memories. Like You can forget things and still heal because, yay, our brains are not designed to be forced to remember everything. No, you do not need to tell your story or know your story to heal from it. Hallelujah. Let's talk about that healing process. You have seven rules to kind of move through this stuckness that we experience. Can we briefly go through and talk about each of the rules? Yes, I'm really pragmatic. It's like knowing why you're stuck doesn't get you not stuck. So I can sit here and be like, and then your mother, and then because seven generations ago, you're great. Like, okay, cool. And you're still stuck. So <laughs> let's get going, right? So the biggest one for me is 
celebrate your wins. We are so mm. quick. I don't care who you are, whether you're a parent or an entrepreneur or both or whatever, to minimize the small gains. Like you do not get to big, yay, life is awesome places without honoring the tiny, itty bittiest of moves forward. And that might mean I didn't die today. Great. It might mean I went from my bed to the couch. It might mean, well, I got my kids off to school and then I collapsed and doom scrolled for six hours. Like, okay, cool. That is still a step forward. Let's celebrate them all. What does a celebration look like though? Because you say like collapsed and scrolled for six hours. I'm like, I might celebrate or reward myself with scrolling, but then scrolling makes me actually feel worse. It's the fine line between reward and self-harm, right? right. It's like, I'm going to yeah. reward myself by drinking six bottles of wine. A reward or a celebration should make you feel more like yourself. So if what you're doing to celebrate makes you feel less like yourself and further away from yourself, then we'll classify that as not celebrating. Celebrating can be food. It could be ingesting things. It could be watching things. It could be just saying to yourself, you know what? I'm not going to yell at you today. Like we're really good at beating ourselves up. What are your favorite ways to celebrate personally? One of my normal things is letting myself have food delivered. And I'm fortunate that I have the ability to do that. But to me, it's like I'm going to celebrate whatever and I'm going to have food delivered because for me, it feels incredibly nurturing to have food brought to me that I don't have to mm. feed myself. I don't just door dash it. It's like, yay, I did the thing. Woo, go me. And then I take the door dash Chinese food and put it on really nice plates. And then I light a candle and I make it like make it a thing. If you're doing stuff like takeout anyway, make it a thing. Let's celebrate what you did well, not just what are your issues, what are your challenges, what are your struggles, but what's working? What do you count both? Not one at the expense of the other, but like let's acknowledge our struggles and acknowledge our wins. Do you have any suggestions for knowing what makes us feel the most like ourselves? Because I think that sometimes we take it for granted, the idea that like, oh, this is who I am, but I don't quite know what nourishes me in that way. It's so tricky, right? Because I'm like seven different ages on any given day. Like I'm a bitchy 16-year-old and now I'm a terrified infant and now I'm a tantruming toddler. A really good way to figure out what your self-care thing is, is ask yourself, how old do I feel right now? Do I feel like a badass like 45-year-old or do I feel like a terrified two-year-old? Because if I'm feeling scared and small, I probably need someone else to help me feel better. If I'm feeling like a really bratty teenager, I might need something like listening to loud music or watching shows. If I'm feeling like an overwhelmed adult, again, the interventions that we pick depend on how old do we feel? Not why do you feel that way, but how old do you feel right now is a really, really underutilized tool in helping us match our interventions to our pain points. I love that. I think that's genius. I feel like recently I've been like wanting to feel like a kid again so much. I just want somebody to like come in and be like, I've got this. I'm taking care of you. You're all good. But I definitely relate to those feelings of different ages. And sometimes even the older, the more adult self, the competency feels more resonant. And I'd say maybe less often, but sometimes that adult self feels more resonant. And that's nice too. And it all counts. People come to me and they say every day, I feel crazy because it's like I'm killing it at work in one minute and then I'm mm. freaking out because my kids have triggered me and now I've just screamed at my child and I'm crying in the bathroom on the floor in the next minute. 
guess what? Mm. You're not crazy. We all sort of time travel to different ages and to different periods. And your self-care often doesn't, quote, work because you're not addressing what state are you in? And easy questions. How old do I feel? Do I need someone else to help me in this moment? Or is this something I can tend to myself? Is this like something I can do inside my head? Or do I need to actually go and do a thing? Like inside, outside, solo, or with people. That'll help you sort of narrow down what's needed in this moment. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I have a product that is going to change your life. I've recommended this to so many people and they're all floored. It's basically a perfect dupe for the viral Laneige lip mask, but a million times better and with ingredients that are clinically proven to help dry lips and actually good for you, which is important because you're essentially eating anything that goes on your lips. It is the Osmia Lip Repair Overnight Mask, and it feels like heaven. And you're going to want one for yourself and also to stock up and give them as gifts because they are the best present. They help my dry lips when nothing else works, and I will never be without mine now. And while you're on the Osmia site, you are going to want to stock up on the bar soaps. This is the original product that Dr. Sarah Villafranco, the founder, created, and they have converted me to bar soaps after years of not being able to take the plunge. They're cured longer, so they last way longer than any other bar soap I have ever found, which is amazing for travel. I have been traveling so much recently, and I've had literally the same bar of soap, and they smell amazing, and they do not dry out your skin. Go with the scent that speaks to your soul, but coffee mint is my personal favorite. Finally, if you remember Sarah's pod episode, she has a whole line of products that help with skin conditions like perioral dermatitis, which is when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. She's famous for this. So start with the black clay facial soap and the purely simple face cream if you are like, oh yes, that is me. If you would like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. I'm not sure that I've ever met someone who's a bigger fan of therapy than me. Fun fact, my dad is a psychologist, my mom is a psychologist, my sister is getting her PhD in psychology right now, and wait for it, both of Zach's parents are psychologists. Yeah, it's wild. Anyway, I've grown up with a front row seat to the transformative power of therapy, and I actually really credit therapy for helping me get through some of the darkest periods of my life, including when I was struggling with agoraphobia and daily panic attacks. The only rough part is that it can be so hard to find a good therapist. Sometimes it's because you live in a therapist's desert, and sometimes it's because therapy is definitely on the pricier side, and sometimes it's just because it's wildly inconvenient to commute like 45 minutes to an office for a 50-minute session, after which you have to turn around and commute another 45 minutes home. These are just a few of the many reasons I am so excited to talk to you guys about my sponsor today, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is truly changing the therapy game by democratizing therapy, making therapy accessible, affordable, and available to as many people as possible. Once you log on to BetterHelp.com, you'll fill out a brief questionnaire. Then they'll use that to match you with a therapist who is best suited to tackle your specific needs. And they have more than 20,000 to choose from, so you'll definitely be able to find a good match. Then you can schedule secure video and phone sessions 
And you get unlimited messages, which is so nice for those quick in the moment needs. Plus, if you and your therapist aren't vibing, you can request a new one for no charge at any time. What I love about therapy is it can be a long-term thing or just used for an acute issue. Whether you're going through a stressful period at work or planning a wedding, or you just want ongoing support because life is hard and it's insane to expect that we should be able to go through it alone, BetterHelp can help. There are so many studies about the positive benefits of therapy. I promise once you have your first session, it'll feel like such a sigh of relief. If you'd like to join the over 2 million people using and loving BetterHelp, go to betterhelp.com slash healthier together to get 10% off your first month. Again, that is 10% off your first month at betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash healthier together. Honestly, I just hope this is the tiny bit of incentive that you need to begin prioritizing your mental health. Sometimes we just need a little push like a discount code to take the steps that we know will change our life, but we've been putting off for whatever reason. I love you and I can't wait for you to take this journey. Now, let's get back to the episode. I love that. Can you rewind a little bit and tell us a little bit about some of the areas that you see people commonly find themselves feeling stuck so that if somebody's struggling to identify if this is actually an issue in their life, they can be like, oh, yes, like that is an area I am feeling stuck. Yeah. And that's why I take the word trauma out of the equation. And again, it's not to minimize or invalidate our pain, but like, let's just not get hung up on the word. Yeah. People that come to see me generally have relationship things going on for sure. And relationships don't all have to be like Dateline NBC level insanity. It could be that your relationship is fine enough and everything is working enough, but you're still completely unhappy. And Mm. can we make that okay? It doesn't have to be devastation and chaos and crisis for you to deserve to examine it and to make different choices. The state of the world is a biggie right now. Relationships, career, and just not feeling, like you said, like who am I in this world? We're not taught how to live inside bodies. Let's start with the basics. You have a body, your body does things, and it's like your car. If you don't know how to drive, you're going to run off the road and crash. And the same thing happens. A lot of times we think that we're struggling with a disorder when it's like, no, that's what your body's supposed to do. During a global pandemic, you're not supposed to be productive. You're supposed to feel paralyzed and frozen and shut down. That's okay. It doesn't mean we have to stay there. You're saying that's okay, but my boss might not say that's okay. My partner might not say that's okay. My kids who I have to take care of might not say that's okay. What do we do when we want to take care of ourselves in that way, but the world is saying you can't do that? Yeah. And that's a real problem, especially if you have family to support or people depending on you. And people get pissed at me when I say it's okay. I'm not saying that we stay at it's okay. It's not like, oh, it's okay. Therefore, just lay on the couch. But it's okay is the starting place. If we do not validate our situation, we're not going to get to step two because we're going to keep spinning around on why I shouldn't feel like this and I should be grateful and I should be happy. It's like, let's just stop the spin with, of course, I feel stuck. This is a thing. I'm not crazy. Then step two is, what are my choices right now to help me get moving? And of those, what feels like the low-hanging fruit? And any choice in any direction will get you into momentum. It's not just like, you're good or you're overwhelmed. No problem. Stay there. It's, yeah, you're overwhelmed. The words that make sense are really validating and very Mm. quick. Just get used to telling yourself, okay, well, this makes sense. And then the next thing is, what are my choices? And then the next thing, what am I saying yes to right now? Not later, not tomorrow, not next week. What am I saying yes to right now in this moment? 
Okay. That kind of is like rule two and rule three, I feel like. And yeah. you're like, you have rule one is take inventory. Can you talk to me about that for a second? Yeah. I don't like the idea of work-life balance and having a scale. I like thinking of it as a chessboard. And we yeah. all have like pieces, our career, our financial health, and some pieces are in there that we don't get to pick, like postpartum or systemic racism or global pandemic. But some of the pieces we do get to pick. So let's just start by asking ourselves, what are all of the areas of my life of this bucket of stuff? Which ones can I not do anything about? And put those aside. And which ones can I do something about? Because we do focus on, I can't do anything about, it's like, I know you can't and that sucks, but over here you have choices. So let's like not ignore this. Do you have any advice pragmatically for that moment? Because I think a lot of people, particularly right now, are like those pieces that I cannot do anything about are occupying 90% of my mental space. And they feel even heavier sometimes because we can't do anything about them. Is there any just very pragmatic, like how do we shift those over there so that we can move on to the things that are in our control? And if only it was so easy, like, oh, that's out of my control. No problem. I'm just going to go over and make a healthy (laughs) meal. It's like, no, but we do need to validate. Yeah, those things are really bad. And no, you don't have control over any of them because we try to trick ourselves. Like, surely I can do something about, and then we exhaust ourselves and burn ourselves out trying to change the things. But it's like, if the current's political climate feels really scary and overwhelming to you, instead of reading all of the headlines, ask yourself, are there three things available to me? Can I donate time? Can I donate money? Is there somebody that's involved with something that I can join forces with? And if you're too overwhelmed, those might not be your options. But really shifting from what, oh my God, oh my God, to what are my choices will turn your logic switch on. And it's really hard to stay stuck when your logic brain is on. Our stuck comes from our logic brain going offline and our brain lighting up like a Christmas tree. And then our body goes into fight or flight. Anywhere we're mindful of choice and logic, our nervous system is going to be a little bit less frazzled. Okay. We're taking inventory. And then rule two, I love rule two, which is look for those easy moves, those kind of things you can do immediately. Can you give me a few examples of what those might be and why that's such an important step? And the really easy moves were, well, yeah, I took a walk, but it's not like I went to the gym. Well, yeah, I ate a salad, but it's not like I meal prepped. Oh, we're dismissive of them. Yes. From a science point of view, being dismissive is going to send stress hormones down your back into all of your body, which is going to impact your gut, which is going to impact your mood, which is going to bring you more of the thing you don't want validating the small wins is going to help create the chemicals that you want to do more of the things that you want. We want to create a cycle, a vortex going this way versus one going that way. Validating small wins is like the under-discussed hormone and gut health hack that we should all be doing. I think so. I mean, I'm not an MD. (laughs) However, it makes sense though, right? If I'm telling myself, you suck, you're not doing enough, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you certainly aren't worthy of your pain, that's going to create cortisol. That is going to create a state of panic. And we know that those types of things in excess create very real medical problems. So like, how's your poop is a great question to ask yourself too. Think of validating will help your gut and your bowels move, which will help everything in your life. So it's not just like, yay, me. It's this is a powerful brain hack that can shift your physiology. What are some of those easy wins? Could you maybe 
think of a few places that you see that your clients are often stuck and what a few easy win examples in those scenarios might be? At work, if someone is like, everything is bad, my team sucks, my boss sucks, my department sucks, corporate America sucks, the whole world sucks, we're all going to die. Like, I get that. So again, step (laughs) step one, let's validate. You're not really off. Your assessment of said situation is accurate. And within this thing that you're stuck in, where are your choices? Can you talk to a recruiter and look for another job? Is that an option? That might sound like a scary option, but Mm. even if you don't do it, just knowing you have an option can make your current situation more tolerable. You're not going to be able to confront your boss. Like your boss is a narcissistic sociopath. There's nothing you can do to set boundaries or lower your work hours. Like, yeah, that's true. Maybe your choice points are, okay, I'm stuck working a 13-hour day, but every hour I'm going to stand up, I'm going to walk outside, and I'm going to walk around the block, and then I'm going to come back. Or I'm not going to starve. I'm going to every three hours make sure I put something in my body so I can tolerate this insanity that I'm living in. Those Mm. little things, they matter. They're not ideal. They're not It's not like, yay, my life is fixed. But we're talking about let's remove some of the pressure on our systems because you're not going to get to fixes while you're buried. Anywhere we can dial down the pressure is going to also dial up our, oh, wait, I can do that. And here are my choices. We want that neocortex on. We want the logic switch on. The easy moves are in some ways just to get you to the mental and physical state of mind where you can make the larger steps that will lead to the big wins. Is that right? Yes, exactly. It's cutting your food into small bites and then chewing it versus shoving a T-bone into your gut and hoping that that works out well. It's like, yes, the small bites, those count too. Is there any trick to be able to find those easy moves in your life so that anybody listening who's like, well, I'm not stuck at work, I'm stuck in my relationship, or I'm stuck in the stress cycle, or I'm stuck with a boundary issue with a parent, how can they look around and find those easy first moves in their life? The first one is recognizing that they exist because a lot of people will come to me and really smart people and they will say, I have no choice. I have no choice. And again, I have compassion. When your nervous system's overwhelmed, the perception is that you have no choice. You may not like your choices, but like Mm. we need to start with the assumption that you have a few. They might not be good, but they exist. That's actually the most powerful way to access them. Start with the assumption that you have three choices in the situation. Just Forget about why you're in it. Forget about what you're going to do long term. Let's just start with the assumption that in the situation, you have three choices. Name them. Go. It very rarely fails if you start with the assumption that it's true to be able to find your way, even if they're little choices, even if they're crappy choices. Choice is the opposite of trauma because anywhere where our choices are taken away, we're going to experience trauma. Anywhere we can be conscious of choice, we're going to be less activated. And then I picture the person doing the three choices and I've had this experience in my own life and I've definitely had it with loved ones where you then just see them talk themselves out of each one like, oh, well, here's why this one doesn't really make sense for me or here's why this one's not really available to me. After we have the three choices, we've made the assumption, we wrote this down, whatever. What do we do next to actually start taking a step? This is the hard sell and nobody likes this part, but this is really the thing that if you're not doing this, it's very unlikely you're going to have sustainable change. What are you getting out of not doing the thing? Like there are benefits to all of our, I mean, again, I was a drug addict. You could say, well, that was destroying your health and your life and your fine. Like, yeah, it was bad. And it allowed me to avoid my pain and it allowed me to stay in victim mentality. And it allowed me to not have to deal with very painful truths about myself. All behavior, even suboptimal behavior has a benefit. And if we don't identify it, 
like actually the reason none of these options are going to work is because you're really comfy because this is familiar and to make a change that's going to require fear, unknown, uncertainty, financial risk, relationship changes. It's scary and it's hard. Even good change requires grief and loss. We have to also ask ourselves honestly, what am I getting out of not doing the thing I say I want to do? Without shaming ourselves. Like okay. it's, a, it's a benefit, no shame. It's there. Let's name it because then we can change it. Let's say we're getting comfort, safety, familiarity. What do we do with that information? Then again, it's about being really honest. We're so good at self-deception. I know I am tricking ourselves. It's like, okay, really you're telling yourself that this is easy and that thing is going to be hard. But I don't know who originally coined the phrase, choose your heart, but I love the phrase, choose your heart. Cause it's like, no, staying inert is hard. Making changes is hard. Choose your heart. Getting fit is hard. Not being fit is hard. Choose your heart. Like not looking at your finances because it's really scary is hard, but like not fixing your finances is hard. Choose your heart. And if anyone knows who said that, I'm happy to attribute credit, but let's break the myth that there's an easy way. And let's start Mm. with both ways are hard. Pick one. That's a lot more effective than the, well, this way is just easier because I'm like the client I'm thinking of. She's like, well, I just know my team and I know this job so well. I'm like, no, you're miserable. This job is hard. It's familiar, but it's familiar hard versus the change, which is unfamiliar hard. Which hard do you want? I love that too, because I think sometimes we get frustrated when we take those baby steps towards change and it feels difficult. And then we're like, oh no, that was too hard. It wasn't the right choice. And we back away from it. And I love the permission giving of everything is going to be hard, but you have the power to choose what your heart is. Right. And it's true with like drugs too, you know, quitting using whether your drug is like Instagram or cocaine, doesn't matter. Like quitting a chemical or a behavior is tough. Like, and recovery sucks and making good changes. Anyone who has tried going from an unhealthy diet to healthy food knows eating healthy food doesn't feel good (laughs) at the beginning. Like when I went from like a diet of Mountain Dew and cigarettes to vegetables, my body went into total like, what the hell is (laughs) happening? You have to detox and you have to withdraw even off of bad things. Giving ourselves permission to know a good decision doesn't always produce a good feeling. And that is normal. Is there a point where it feels a little easier? Like, is there an amount of time we should give ourselves when making a big change of knowing that's going to be the shitty part? (laughs) I think sometimes we make changes and our body's like, that's shitty. Our mind is like, that's shitty. And that's real information. And we should maybe readjust. But is there an amount of time we should give ourselves in the shitty? (laughs) I wish I could be like, and in two weeks, like, (laughs) poof, you are out. And it's different for every person and every body and every situation. Generally, if whatever you're quitting, assuming you don't have like complicated medical issues and systemic oppression issues, things like that, assuming that everything generally is working, you have your needs met and you have resources. After two weeks, two to three weeks of stopping the thing, you're going to feel a little less insane. There's no such thing as a crazy person, but you'll feel insane for a little bit. After two to three weeks, that like, oh my God, I'm going to die without the thing should calm down. It takes about 90 days for our brains to start like making a new neural pathway is my understanding of the current science that could be changed without notice. But I would say three months is really to where you're going to start to lean into the curve. It's a steep learning curve. But eventually, when you make a shitty feeling good change, after three months, you should start to at least see a light at the end of the tunnel. And if it's been three months and you're still feeling like just deeply shitty all the time, maybe that's a sign you should reevaluate. 
Yes. And I would say reevaluate anyway, like every okay. month. You just ask yourself, how's this going? Because I know mm. when I'm detoxing off of like bad food, I'm going to feel bad. I know logically this is a good change and this is my body feeling bad. But if you're not sure, check in with yourself daily, check in with yourself weekly and then ask yourself, forget about how I feel. Can I do like a reality inventory? What is true? And if you're not sure, then you need more time, but keep checking in, check in frequently. I love that. We've talked about a lot of different scenarios and you kind of can use this process for work, for relationships, for all different parts of your life. I'm curious if there's a universal first tip or trick, like one thing we should try first if we feel stuck in any situation. It really is true that our brains are on our side. I'm not going toxic positive. I'm saying even our most extreme symptoms are generally our body's best efforts to protect us, even if there's not a threat. But if we can start with the assumption that you're not crazy, you're not lazy, and you're not broken, if we can start with that right there, no matter what your situation is, it's at least going to point you in a trajectory that you want to be on. Because there's no such thing as a lazy person. We get stuck, we get inert, we go into freeze, we get depressed. But lazy is a moral judgment. It's not like a biological reality. And there's no such thing as crazy. And your brain makes sense, even if you don't understand it. I don't understand everything about my brain. But if we can assume we're not lazy, crazy, or broken, that's going to at least put us in the right headspace to start. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I know we've talked about this here on the pod and the pros and cons of having kids episodes and on Instagram, but wow, have I been on a whole journey with deciding whether or not to have kids. There's a period this year where Zach and I were like, well, should we do it? Because basically all of our friends were doing it. But then after many conversations and a lot of therapy, we realized we need to do stuff on our timeline, not anyone else's. The tentative plan is to have a single kid in a few years, but we wanted to do that as intelligently as possible, which is where Modern Fertility came in. I actually independently researched and purchased Modern Fertility before we were working together. To be totally honest, they approached me to do this pod partnership months after I'd already tested my fertility and shared it on Instagram, and I was really excited to move forward because I'd had such a positive experience. Basically, they mail you an at-home finger prick blood test with really easy-to-follow instructions and a prepaid return label. You mail it in, and 10 days later, you log on to their website to get personalized results that give you insight into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, aka how many eggs you have compared to other people your age, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means in a really digestible, readable way, and you can also download the results to review with your doctor for next steps. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you literally the exact same info for under $200, and you can do it in the comfort of your own home. If you have an HSA or an FSA, you can also put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Getting my Modern Fertility results just made me feel so empowered and like I was making an informed decision versus just shooting in the dark. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering Healthier Together listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash together. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash together. That's modernfertility.com slash together. Now let's get back to the episode. Okay. So then that looks like in practice, like I feel stuck in this relationship. I feel stuck in this job. Instead of you being like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be happy in my relationship? What's wrong with me? Why can't I be happy in my job? You're like, 
no, my brain is giving me information and I just need to figure out how to decode it essentially. Yes. It takes the terror out of it. I like to think of it like driving your car. If I didn't know how a car worked and I have no gas and no ignition key or switch or whatever, and I sit there and the car doesn't work, this car sucks. What's wrong with me? I'm such a bad driver. I'm a horrible car owner. It's like, no, you need gas. And like, (laughs) there's some things you need to get the car going. But if I don't know how to drive, I'm going to assume the problem is me. Assume that there is information that you don't have yet that might be able to help. Because if we can get out of the shame thing from the jump, that's really the thing that shuts us down is that why am I like this? What's wrong with me? Which produces those stress hormones, which produces more states of stuck. Let's start, validate. I don't know why it makes sense, but it does. Fine. And then we can move on to what and how and who. To the choices and all of that. Okay, cool. One of the things I think that most often keeps people stuck is the amount of time they've devoted to something. I've been in this relationship for 10 years and I don't want to lose all of that effort and work and time that I've put into it. Same with jobs, same with all different parts of our lives. Do you have any advice for telling when that's valid and you have put the work in and you've climbed up that mountain and you should figure out a way to stay on the mountain versus you have the rest of your life and you got to bail off the mountain? The do I stay or do I go question? And I have endless compassion for the dilemma. That one will keep people stuck, right? Yeah. Especially when it's too good to leave, but too bad to stay. And then you're sort of in this like limbo of death where you're like, I can't stay and I can't go. And the only thing worse than staying is leaving. And the only thing worse than leaving is staying. And what do I do? Stop torturing yourself with that question. That's when that falls under the camp of things that you're not going to get any forward momentum on right now. Hmm. But instead of do I stay or do I go, ask yourself, who's available in my ecosystem right now that I could reach out to that will help me feel a little less bad? And then eventually, if you can keep getting wins over here, the do I stay or do I go question gets a lot more clear. And if it's not clear, don't torment yourself. Ask yourself once a day, is today the day I'm ready to file divorce or whatever? If the answer is no, like, cool, pivot and find your low-hanging fruit and do something else. The 12 steps have this the serenity prayer, like, help me to understand which things I can change and which things I can and wisdom to know the difference. If you're not able to stay, but you're not able to go, focus on your career, focus on your children, focus on your friends, focus on your own self-inquiry. And again, the closer you can get to feeling that logic switch on and that I can do energy, the do I stay or go question gets a lot easier to answer. You're not suggesting that we should just ignore it forever. You're suggesting if you can't decide whether to leave a relationship by focusing your energy on your job, you'll build up the brain power you need to maybe make the decision about your relationship. I love that you're keeping me from getting into so much trouble with some of these things. So thank you. No, definitely not. Because you could just as easily dissociate into work and ignore your marriage and just lose yourself in work. So thank you for clarifying that. I feel so safe right now. (laughs) You have the potential to dissociate and pretend like it's not happening. But again, this is about a ferocious commitment to the truth. It's like, I'm not ignoring the reality of my relationship. I'm recognizing that I don't have the willingness or the capacity to make this decision today. So I'm going to figure out where I have some I can do energy. And then I'm going to come back and reevaluate the entire board. I'm not going to just pretend like that's not happening. Thank you so much for clarifying that. Are there any questions that we can ask ourselves that maybe go beyond should I say or should I go that can help us narrow in on our 
true feelings and maybe get clarity about what our life might look like in either direction. What is this relationship costing me is a biggie. And what is this relationship benefiting me? Because even in really unhealthy, toxic relationships, if the benefits of staying outweigh the pain of leaving, you're going to stay. I'm asking, is this a place where I'm willing to do the very, very difficult work of dismantling and deconstruct? If the answer is no, then let's change the question. Then the question is, what do I want my life to be about if I'm in this relationship? Assume I'm not getting divorced today. Okay, great. Knowing that you're with this person, what do you want your life to be about? And then it keeps going back to the, and then what are my choices and what am I going to say yes to? But when we have the everything sucks, I have no options and no choices, and this is what I've been dealt, that's not honest. Anywhere we're veering from honesty, we're going to be amplifying our sense of hopelessness and helplessness and stuckness. The truth is ugly. I don't know who said this, but like the truth will set you free, but first it'll kick your ass. I think the trickiest part about any sort of should I stay or should I go question, whether it's should I leave this job, should I move city, should I leave this relationship, is that the go option is always filled with so many unknowns that it's hard to evaluate. You're like, I don't know what my state of mind would be at a new job. I don't know how much I would like a new city. I don't know if I'll ever meet a partner who's better than this. Is there anything we can do to cope (laughs) with the fact that this is the known entity, which is always going to feel safer and more comfortable than the unknown entity? It's so tricky, isn't it? Especially if it's not toxic and abusive and chaotic and harmful. But asking yourself, even though it's not that bad, what is it actually going to cost you to stay? And I deal with this with a lot of people about to go through really big divorce, life change kind of things. If you're not sure how you're going to financially support yourself, great, then let's Invest energy in making sure your finances are put together and that you're aware of what's coming in and what's going out. And maybe talk to an attorney to find out if like, what would this look like? Do I stay or do I go? Put that on the shelf and ask, how do I get more information so I can make Mm. a decision? Make the unknown more known. I'm thinking like you could interview people who are doing jobs at other companies or you could go to a city that you might want to move to for two weeks or something like that. What are the ways that you can take the big, scary unknown and micro-size it down into something that's more known? Yes. Even if that's just like lurking on Google and looking around at YouTube, not every unknown can be known, but most of our scary unknowns can become more knowable. Let's do that because that's something you can actually check off a list that I did today versus how do I decide this big, scary thing? Make it less scary wherever possible. I love that. Okay, we're going to switch directions for a second. (laughs) I would love to talk about your vagus nerve. I feel like your vagus nerve is such a trendy topic. And we wrote about it a lot when I was in editorial. And it was I think people like the idea that there's this little physical thing in your body that's controlling so much of how you feel. I would love to talk about what your vagus nerve is and how does it actually impact your mental state? I love the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, and he wrote Polyvagal Theory. He created it, the whole idea. And there's some debate in the field about it, like replicating the studies, and there's some controversy about it. But the idea of it is that you have a nerve in your head that 
when it's pinged, and I'm being incredibly reductive here intentionally. In my book, I made this into a cartoon of a swing set. It's yeah. like if you're laying <laughs> flat down, splat underneath the swings, like that's a sign of what's called dorsal vagal shutdown, aka freeze. Or like if your swing is spinning over the playground bars, that's sympathetic overactivation. If you're sitting and you're relaxed on the swing, that's another dorsal vagal state, but it's a socially engaged state. It's much easier for me to think in terms of like swings on a cartoon versus and then here's your heart rate variability and how it impacts your vagal tone. It's like, can we make the neuroscience lingo like accessible and palatable, please? It's like, I feel splat or I feel eek. Cool. That's what direction we go in. And then our interventions need to apply to like an intervention for someone splat on the playground is not the same as someone who's spinning over the swing set. And so asking your body, am I on the up trajectory? Am I on the down trajectory? Where on the up down am I? And then we have things that we can do depending on which vagal state you're in. The goal isn't always to stimulate your vagus nerve or to quiet your vagus nerve. It's to tone it, to bring it into balance, essentially. Yeah. The brain is so complex that anyone who's like, this is a simple way that you can hack your vagus nerve. Like, Right. That's on TikTok all the time is like the ice stuff and things like that. And I was going to ask about the validity of these sort of like vagus nerve hacks. They're great tools. There's a reason that we do cold plunges. And there's a reason that like we tell people who are angry to chill out and to go cool off. And mm. the little hacky vagus nerve exercises are useful. In context of you have a whole body that's doing stuff, you also have an environment that's doing stuff. You also have a microsystem with your family and you have a macrosystem with the world at large. I'm fine with vagus nerve exercises as long as they're not like three easy ways to tone your vagus nerve and then your life will be great. It's like that's bullshit. It's like tools in your toolkit, not an overall solution. Exactly. Could you give some real world examples of times where your vagus nerve might be too stimulated and you'd want to look for some calming mechanisms? After, let's say, a giant court decision where a lot of controversy is handed down and now because you have your personal history and there's this global unrest, you can't sleep and you can't eat and you can't focus and you're coming into my office and you're sitting on that couch going, why do I have an anxiety disorder? Again, let's start with there's a lot of shit happening right now. You have a nerve in your head and it's going ping. Let's just say the smoke alarm is going off. Let's just start with, again, this makes sense. We're not going to leave you here, but let's just start with this makes sense. Okay. You have a body that's attached to your head. Your body is stuck on up. Just the observation of our physiology is going to help downregulate. Just observing, this is what's happening to me, is going to like take it down a few notches. Okay. Then I like to have my clients do an inventory when they're not in a overactivated state. When you're too far up, what are 10 things? People, places, thoughts, and things that help you feel more down. And that's different mm-hmm. for different people. When you're stuck on down, what are 10 people, places, thoughts, or things that can help you feel more? Like watching Game of Thrones down regulates my husband. Like if he's stuck in an overactivated state, he'll watch something and he'll calm down. If I watch Game, Game of, of Thrones, Thrones is like a really aggressive one yes! to use to calm down. I don't calm down watching Game of Thrones like (laughs) he does. I don't know. Ask yourself and then practice and pay attention. We're all so busy and so overwhelmed. Like, oh my God, I don't want to do more things. But you're already watching things and you're already listening to things. Check in with yourself a few times a day and just say, is the thing I just watched bringing me up or bringing me down? And then even like make a little note of it. 
Exactly. Use your tech, use your phone. Like, oh, wow. When I listen to cheesy boy band 90s pop, that's me. I feel a little less overwhelmed. I know when I hit that state, logic won't be available. If you can create your menu of here's what makes me feel more up when I'm down, here's what makes me feel more down when I'm up. When you do that while you're in a logic zone, that's accessible once you hit overactive or underactive. Are there things that work more universally, like the cold plunge you mentioned? Does that have a physiological effect that sort of calms your vagus nerve? And is there anything else that's like that? For me, if I go in full body into a cold plunge, I panic. So for me, using cold is like ice packs on my neck or splashing cold water on my face. But even cold showers pings back to certain traumas of mine where okay. like, could I work that out? Yeah. But is it a universal that a cold plunge is good for everybody? No. It's asking yourself like of these generally neutral things like squeezing ice cubes or listening to music or stomping really hard or running in place. These are all technically neutral things. Do these things help me? Like breath work is another one. Like you could say, well, breath work is universally something that's good. No, it is not. Mm. For people with trauma, breath work can feel incredibly re-traumatizing. If breath work's not your thing, don't shame yourself. Breath work's not for everybody. Yoga's not for everybody. Inner deep meditation's not for everybody. Even though these things seem like they're universally, quote, good, if they're not good for you, they're not good for you. You get to modify any practice that you want to make it work for you. You're not going to give me any Vegas nerve hacks that I can be like, guys, try these Vegas nerve hacks. Okay. So the cold one is a hack. <laughs> There's an exercise called the foghorn. And that's where you make a VOO. You make the VOO sound like VOO. And you do that. And then you take a breath. And then you make the VOO sound again. And then you take a breath. And then you orient to your body. That actually works in either direction. If you feel stuck and splat on the floor and you do the VOO, like your body is going to feel the vibrations from the V sound. Like when you make a V sound, your teeth are on your lips. So that vibrating, you wouldn't notice if you were being attacked by a tiger. So the vibrations are going to help you up if you're down and down if you're up. Dancing can be a really useful one. I don't mean creating mm. beautiful art. It's like put on some super intense music and stomp around because feeling the floor underneath you, engaging your proprioceptive system, that's also going to help you if you're overactivated and it can possibly also help you when you're underactivated. These tools are generally universal, but which direction do they take you is the question. Mm. For some people, dancing is going to take them to the bad zone. I feel like that's my husband. I'm like, I love dancing. I find it so freeing. But I think society has made so many people self-conscious about dancing where they can't find joy in it anymore. And it makes me so sad. It's like I had a girlfriend who made fun of my laugh years ago and we were like young and whatever. But I just think that two rules of life should be you can't make fun of people's laughs and you can't make fun of people's dancing because they're both just such pure expressions of joy and there's no way to do it in a cool way. There is no such thing to me as cool dancing or a cool laugh. It's just everybody should have access to both of those things. You know what I mean? My hack for dancing, because I had that self-consciousness too, yeah. is think of it not as dancing, but as movement. And if you're really stuck on you can't dance, lay on the ground and just, this is a Vegas nerve <laughs> hack too, lay on the ground to like 
a song that's 180 beats per minute and just like move around. You're going to feel stupid, but like you're not trying to dance. You're just wiggling on the ground. And that's a great one to do if you have kids too. It's like, okay, we're going to be noodles. Now we're going to be boards. The shifting Uh... from I'm noodly and loose to I'm actually intentionally clenching every single muscle is going to help our nervous system again orient to safety and regulation. So noodles and statues. I love that. (laughs) I also, it occurs to me just as you're saying that, that like if you can have your kids do these little hacks, like they don't need to know what's happening to bring them into a more regulated state. Like you can help them hack their body. That's genius. And playing catch. When I worked inpatient drug rehab, the first thing I would do with a lot of my clients when they would just be coming right in from detox is we just throw a ball back and forth. Why? It engages bilateral stimulation. It promotes attachment, but you're far Mm. enough away that it's not really scary. So your vagus nerve isn't going danger, danger, danger. We all generally know playing catch is like not threatening and we can stand at a far enough distance and you switch hands with the ball and you throw it back and forth. And that's incredibly regulating. That immediately makes me wonder how many things we do as children, because like the wiggling on the floor thing too, that are regulating but we just intuitively like doing them. And then we maybe just kind of lose them over time as society is like, don't wiggle and don't play. Well, I was trained as a play therapist first and I don't have kids early in my career. So I'm like, kids seem to have, like they understand something about being human that we sort of, totally train out of them. Sit still. Don't move. Don't have feelings. Be good. Like all those things. I'm so with you. Kids really understand inherently, intuitively, how our bodies are supposed to function and we get it trained out of us as we get older. That's so true. It resonates so much and it's sad, but it's also really empowering if you can realize that and you can bring those elements back into your life. Especially with my male clients who are very buttoned up and they're very logical. It's like playing catch is dumb, Brit. I'm like, okay, well, let me get out a whiteboard and let me show you what's happening in your brain when we're doing this. And here's your neurobiological rationale for doing this silly, stupid activity. But I have that too. I have that sense of like, there's so much to do in the day. There's so many things I'm trying to fit in. And sometimes if I can just understand the real why on a biological basis Mm -hmm. for why I'm doing something, it's so much easier for me to convince myself to take the step to incorporate it. Singing as far as vagal tone exercises. And if you think of it logically, if you were being chased by a lion, when you're terrified, you can't speak. Mm. There are no words. If you're driving to work, sing in the car because singing inherently tells your brain you're not being attacked by a lion, which is going to then downregulate you. You're going to feel a little dumb, but like, so what? You're in the car. Roll up the windows. No one's watching. I do that. I sing in the shower when I feel, not when I'm exactly having a panic attack, but when I feel that sort of rising on the verge of, I'll take a shower and I'll sing and it helps me so much. Because of the vibrating, right? The vocal cord Mm. vibrations. Again, little kids know this. That's why they hum and they sing. Even if you're singing to yourself, everything is shit today. Everything is crappy. Like, yeah, it is. You're validating and you're vagal toning at the same time. And then what are my choices? But I would recommend Taylor Swift in lieu of that if you're given the option of what to sing. I will say like I'm the biggest Taylor Swift fan in the world and sometimes people give her crap for not being like an adult Adele level singer. And I'm like, first of all, her songwriting is what we love her for. But beyond that, she's very easy to sing along to. Like Adele is very hard for me to sing along to and Taylor, I can hit all the notes and that makes me feel really nice. 
I love her NPR Tiny Desk Concert. That's a down regulator for me. If I'm stressed, I just watch her do her thing. And it's like, okay. And it's catchy. And the hooks get stuck in my head, which Uh drives out the scary thoughts. So thank you, Taylor Swift. Earworms. Earworms is a way to get the scary thoughts out. I love that. Even when you're annoyed, you're like, oh my God, I knew you were in trouble when you walked in. (laughs) (laughs) Earworms eat the bad things. (laughs) I promised we would get back to procrastination. I just want to touch on that briefly. Procrastination as a trauma response, let's say we acknowledge that this is normal. We don't have shame. We're moving through it. But in that moment of procrastination, which I think is just a nice thing, it's a nice place to point to that we all feel stuck in pretty much our daily lives, just these little moments of procrastination. What is something we can do right then to get out of the procrastinating moment? Again, validate. This makes sense. Procrastination is a dorsal vagal shutdown state. Remind Mm. yourself, this is a science thing, not a moral thing. Like, just say, why am I procrastinating? Because science. You don't need to know why right now. Just say, because science, okay? Then say to yourself, is the expectation I have of myself matching the reality of my situation? When we were all on lockdown and you have three children to homeschool and you have a spouse with a drinking problem and you have a sick parent and you are expecting yourself to bake bread, learn a new language, clean the house and start a business. That is not a realistic expectation given the environment. So do a quick self-check is what I'm asking myself to do in line with what I'm able to do. And Mm. more often than not, the answer is going to be no. So then it's okay. How can I make my expectations of myself a little bit more congruent with my reality? You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I've talked about this brand on Insta a zillion times because in my very humble opinion, they have some of the best ice cream in the world. And it's 100% plant-based, but I actually like it more than many traditional ice creams. Like it's creamier and the flavors are way better. I am so excited to introduce you to Frankie and Joe's. Let's get into the ingredients first and then I'll talk flavors. They make their ice cream from gum-free coconut milk and gluten-free oat milk. Most flavors are sweetened with organic cane sugar, but a few flavors are sweetened using dates, coconut sugar, or maple syrup. And then they'll add in superfoods and adaptogens. I'm almost nervous as I'm saying this because it makes it sound like these are like healthy ice creams, but they genuinely taste so decadent like gourmet gelato. I actually challenge you to give them to someone who isn't plant-based and see if they can tell. Okay, let's talk about flavors and get ready because you are going to salivate. The flavor that I first fell in love with is California Cabin, which has smoked vanilla and pine infused into a creamy coconut oat milk base with chewy black pepper cardamom shortbread cookie nestled throughout. It tastes like a day spent outside hiking and hanging out at a lake, and then you go back to a house with your friends and you're a little sticky with sunscreen still and you all play games and laugh, and this is what you eat. Like it fully tastes like that feeling and it's so, so, so good. They also have a summer's best four-pack that's like bringing the farmer's market into your freezer. You'll get pickled blueberry, which is salty and sweet and tart and tangy. They use local Washington blueberries to make their pickled blueberry jam, which is swirled with crispy, crunchy bits of tarragon pie crust. Oh my gosh, yum. You'll also get strawberry tomato, which has tomato and strawberry jam swirled through a sun-dried tomato ice cream. Oh my gosh, this one might be my favorite. It feels familiar, but elevated, like something that you'd get at a really nice farm-to-table restaurant. You will also get a mint chip, which is Zach's favorite flavor, and it has that really bright, fresh mint flavor and gets its gorgeous color from spirulina and Rocky Road, which is just a classic. 
You can find Frankie and Joe's ice cream in their three Seattle, Washington scoop shops, natural grocery stores along the West Coast like Erewhon, Whole Foods, and New Seasons, or you can ship it to your door for a $20 flat rate to the lower 48 states. Go to frankieandjoes.com to order a box or follow along on their Instagram at frankieandjoes to learn more about all of their delicious flavors. Again, that's frankieandjoes.com, F-R-A-N-K-I-E, a-N-D-J-O-S dot com to stock up your freezer. I cannot wait to hear what you think. Is there anything that we can tell ourselves when the conversation goes, but this person is doing all of these things and why can't I do it? Like, why can't I meet these expectations of myself if all of these other people are meeting it so well? The comparison trap, right? I can go really easy and just be like, because reasons, because science, because humaning. One, you don't know that that person actually is coping. Again, I see a lot of very high functioning, shiny looking people that you would think have all their shit together. And like my office is full every day, (laughs) all day. No, it's so true. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Like this room is what's behind closed doors. And I'm telling you, it's not what it all seems like. Number two, if comparison worked to get you moving, we'd all be good to go because we're all really good comparers. From an efficiency standpoint, it doesn't work. But why can they do it? That's a why question. And we're not dealing in why questions. Like, I don't know. Because. Because they have more resources. Because they have less trauma. Because I don't know. It doesn't matter why. Because the why doesn't get you moving. So let's stop watching people that make you feel bad about yourself. That would fall under the, can you limit your consumption of things that you can control? Like, don't tune out the news. That's important. But you don't have to watch 50 different influencers living the life of your dreams and then feeling like crap. Let's apply that to a real world situation. I like to work out first thing in the morning so that I can get on with the rest of my day. But I find working out to be really hard. I've managed to make it a habit, but I will always have like a 30 to 40 minute period before I can start my workout where I'm like scrolling on my phone and puttering around and just like go work out, Liz, go work out, Liz, go work out, Liz. Is there anything I could do in that moment of procrastination to skip that 45 minutes of wasted life in between? (laughs) I'm a big fan of since our brains are playing tricks on us all the time, let's just take that power and reverse it. You only have to work out for one minute, Liz. Like, just put your shoes on. If after one minute of your workout you want to quit, you can. Like, let's just get through the first 60 seconds. That actually can be incredibly powerful. Then you could also do something like, well, considering what I just went through this past week is the two-hour run I have planned a viable, reasonable thing to ask my body to do. And oh, if friend, it's not- I am never planning a two-hour run. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> We're maxing out at like a 30-minute at-home situation. Which again, low-hanging fruit, like go you, celebrate the crap out of that. (laughs) But taking the myth out, I live in the Midwest in January. It's really hard to talk myself out of bed because it's cold. It's like, well, is it easier to stay in bed? No, it's hard to do nothing because I'm going to feel like crap all day. But it's also hard Mm. to get out of bed. Choose your heart. Pick your heart. Which heart do you want? You don't get an easy option here. If we can get the easy option off the table... And then we have reality presented to us. Then it's easier to be like, okay, well, logically, both of these options suck. I'm going to pick the one that sucks that's going to make me ultimately feel better. I love that. I think the choose your heart is going to be something that replays in my head over and over and over. I wish I knew who said it. I didn't make it up. But you are amplifying it. And that's really (laughs) important as well. I think that's really important. Are there any other mental health tools that you personally have found really useful? 
use what you're already doing. We're so frazzled and harried. Our schedules are bloated and ready to just burst. But if you're already in the car, take a different road to work because that'll sort of confuse your brain. And a confused Mm. brain is good because the way to get out of autopilot is to confuse you. Like shake the snow globe. If you already are driving to work anyway, pick a different road and listen to a song and sing. It doesn't add time. It doesn't add cost. If you're ordering stuff from Amazon, this sounds so silly, but again, I can back it up with neuroscience. Fill out the gift card message and say, hey, you, well done not totally throwing in the towel today because your brain won't really know the difference that that came Mm. from you or that came from someone else. If you're doing this stuff anyway, make it work for you. I love that. I think that's so fun. And it goes back to the celebrations. I do love the idea of peppering your life with these little celebrations because I think sometimes, at least I get caught up in the like, you don't deserve to celebrate until you publish a book or until you have this really big win. And then I'll have that win. And it always feels like a little bit of a letdown. It's just like it didn't satisfy me in the way that I was hoping that it would. And I think if you can instead do all these little celebrations, it takes the pressure off of that big thing. It says like, life is good all the time. Life isn't just good at these big pivotal moments that we point to as society that we should be waiting for to feel good. You don't have to wait to feel good. You don't. And it's also not ignoring the reality of pain. We're not saying life doesn't totally have some really, really awful, unfortunate things. We're saying both and, like the and consciousness. Like, yes, this sucks and I need to be a good citizen of the world and I need to make my impact and help other people where I have the ability. Okay. And I get to be happy that whatever, and it's not like I don't deserve to celebrate till I write my book. Well, you're not going to be able to write your book until you start celebrating your small wins. It's just really hard to do the big things without celebrating the small things. Or in a larger sense, if you're worried about the state of the world and what's happening politically, if you're not taking care of yourself in these micro moments, you're not going to be able to make any sort of change in a positive direction. You're not helping anything by just sitting around feeling terrible at every single moment. Right. And for people who have that guilt thing, like I feel too guilty to celebrate. I feel too guilty to say anything positive or feel good. Well, you just said you're actually not any use to the world, your family, the community. You're not serving the issues and you're not able to make any changes if you're spun on this. Everything is terrible. I am terrible. Do what you can and realize there's a lot of like gems lying around that we just walk past. We walk past them every single day. We all know what the pain feels like, but look on the other side of the street and pick up the other stuff. And that will give you a little bit of like, okay, maybe it's not all hopeless bullshit. Like this is, and that is, but maybe over here, I don't have to feel this bad to this level every second of every day. This sounds like a stupid question, but can you just give some gem examples? If you're not used to looking for the gems, I think it can be easy to look around and be like, no, no, it's all rocks. There are no gems here. Yeah. And it's super easy to get in that mind space, right? If you train your brain, it's kind of like when you're looking for a house, all of a sudden you see real estate signs. If you're going to buy a red Toyota, you see red Toyotas everywhere. If you prime your pump to look for the gems, you're going to start going, holy crap. I have a journal at the end of every day. I write down like the stuff I need to like deal with and work on. But I also write down what are three awesome things I noticed today? And if not awesome, good. And if not good, then not bad or neutral. What would be something on that list? It's July 6th. Two July 6ths ago, I contracted COVID. Yay. Holla frickin' Luya that I, on this July 6th, don't have COVID. Yay. Mm. Sweet. I'm going to celebrate that my body doesn't have that thing ravaging it. Woo. 
yeah, and I'm going to DoorDash donuts and I'm going to dance and I'm going to sing and it's going to be awesome. That sounds so stupid and so cheesy, but doing that will produce dopamine and it will produce serotonin, which will help me with the actual things I need to do to help with the bigger issues. The low-hanging fruit, like basics, bio needs. Do you have food? Do you have clean water? Do you have a roof over your head? Don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty that you have them. Celebrate that you have them because that will give you more energy to do other things. I love that. Okay. We talked about a lot of stuff in this episode. I always like to end with one homework assignment, something that a listener could do right now to stop being stuck and go after the life that we want. Can you just leave us with one homework assignment? I love quick homework assignments, like very much so. Write down a list of five things that are going well for you right now. Write down a list of five things that are not working so well for you. Write down a list of five choices that you have, five, five, and five. And of those choices, pick one, pick a small one, pick the most minuscule, like teeny tiny one and get a yes today. Find a yes today. Whatever the yes is, no matter what size, no matter what, find your way to a yes of any size today. And boom, you're not stuck. Once you say yes to anything, you're now in motion and then do another one and then another one. And objects in motion stay in motion and objects at rest stay at rest. Yes, exactly. Can you tell us a little bit about everything you're working on, your book, where people can find you on the internet? The book's called The Science of Stuck, which is really just like, here are the bottom lines. You don't have to read all of the books. Here's like just enough information about anxiety and about the vagus nerve with my little playground cartoons. I'm on Instagram at Brit Frank, it's just my name. And my website is scienceofstuck.com. Come say hi. Amazing. And there's so much in the book that we haven't even begun to touch on. I love the shadow snacks concept. Everybody should definitely go and check out the book. It's amazing. And I so appreciate you taking the time to join us today. This was amazing and fascinating and so much good information. I'm going to go make my list right now. Yes, five, 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 and one. Thank you so much. This was really fun. I could easily like just pick your brain for another two hours. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. Guys, wasn't that amazing? Britt blew my mind so many times, and I am so excited to hear what stuck with you. Okay, so for the giveaway, Britt has generously agreed to give 10 winners a copy of her amazing book, The Science of Being Stuck. If you love this episode, you are going to love the book. There are so many things that we didn't have time to get into, including how to work on your shadow parts, set better boundaries, and so much more. To enter, just make sure that you're following at Liz Moody and at Britt Frank with two T's on Instagram, then comment on my most recent post what you loved or learned in this episode. The post doesn't have to be about the episode, just mention Britt so that I know what you're entering. We will have 10 winners, so you have a great shot, so definitely enter. If you are new here, make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any future episodes. We have amazing ones coming up, including a highly requested dermatologist debunking skincare myth. This has already completely changed my own skincare routine, so I am so excited for you to hear it, and a healthy eating secrets with two of your favorite food influencers. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe so you do not miss out on anything. Okay, I love you, and I will see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. I've loved, loved, loved the Osea Andaria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin, and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy. 
these micro relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night. And the smell of the body butter, holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin-identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code Liz Moody.